The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Support for this show comes from InterVarsity Press and their new book, True Companions by Kelly Flanagan. The book explores how we can enjoy the deeply satisfying transformational love of companionship. Kelly Flanagan is an author, psychologist, and she shows us how to use self-knowledge to help us explore love more vulnerably. Learn more and get a copy of True Companions at ivpress.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Reverend Jess Cast, is pastor at Faith United Church of Christ in State College, Pennsylvania. Reverend Cast is heralded in the January-February issue of Spirituality and Health magazine as one of seven spiritual trailblazing radicals who are redefining the future of spirituality. We're going to get into what that is and how she does it in this conversation. So Reverend Jess Cast, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much, Rabbi Remy, and thank you for everybody who is listening. It's a sacred honor to be here with you. Well, it's going to be a pleasure. It is a pleasure to talk with you, and it's going to be an interesting half hour because, I mean, I, I read the little article in the magazine, and you have a lot to offer. So, <laughs> you know, I mentioned a moment ago, you're among the seven individuals that the magazine calls spiritual radicals, helping to define or maybe redefine the future of spirituality. So let's just get a couple of um, definitions out of the way. How do you understand spirituality? Yeah. So uh, the magazine asks, do I consider myself spiritual? Do I consider myself religious? And for me, it's both. I am religious in the sense that I am rooted in the Christian tradition I am ordained within the Christian tradition, and my spirituality is how I choose to practice that. So, for instance, many Christians just celebrated Christmas. That spirituality of that then is the different flavors of how we each engage that religious tradition. Uh, so spirituality is, is, for me, rooted within a communal practice and is highly personal, too. But I, it's, it's a connection of the community and the person. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, the way you, you put it in the magazine, I'll just quote you back to yourself. Uh, you say, for me, spirituality is about honoring my dignity and always honoring the dignity of, of those around me. Uh, yeah. Honoring of dignity is a radical thing right now. Why is that, do you think? When I was in New York City for 10 years uh, serving in the Upper West Side, one of my ministries was serving with those that were unhoused and those who were living in poverty. And one of the things that I noticed is that the very rich neighborhood that my church was in um, and the very 
the population of people that were very impoverished that we were serving, money has a way of stripping of our identity. Both the very rich and the very poor got sucked into this idea of who they were were based on the socioeconomic stratosphere in society. What we did in this ministry was we got rid of these rectangular tables. We got circular tables so that people could see each other. I mean, really be seen. Um, And Broadway musicians would bring music into this beautiful cafeteria setting. And we created a space of joy and beauty and dignity, wholeness. Dignity is the ability to be able to be seen, not for the materialism of what we do or don't have, but dignity is the sense of, I'm honoring the fullness of who you are. And I will pause to be able to hear where you are. I will pause my judgments, my uh, desire to want to exert power over you in order to just to be, to see each other face to face, panim al panim, right? To be mm. together, to use from your tradition, perhaps. Yeah, well, from our tradition, meaning yes. both of ours, Genesis makes it clear that people are created in the image and likeness of God. In the Hindu traditions, you know, just when you meet someone in India and you you greet them either with, uh, there's two phrases, but the one I want to talk about is namaste, Namaskar is the other one, but namaste is literally, I bow to the divine within you. Now, I teach it, or I have before COVID, I've taught in India several times, and I always try to get people to rethink the meaning of namaste so that it's not, I bow to the divine within you, but I bow to the divine that is you. Mm. I think that um, you and I and all human beings, I would say all all beings, they're all incarnations of the divine. And dignity, as you're, as I'm hearing you define it or describe it, dignity is really getting back to that root notion and honoring the divinity of one another. In a country like ours, which is supposedly so, you know, it's not officially a Christian country, but it's a nation of Christians. How did we lose that notion of the divinity of our fellow humans? Well, Rabbi Rami, I this is where perhaps from both of our traditions where confession and atonement and doing some serious soul work, looking at the shadow side of who we are is really important to be able to be set free, right? Uh, the truth will set us free, but as Gloria Steinem said, it will first piss us off. And, and what I think is happening um, a lot right now is that with, particularly with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, we're looking at the root sin, I believe, in America is racism. And we didn't honor the dignity of all people from the beginning of this nation. So it's it's in the thread of this nation to not honor the dignity of others, to not honor the dignity of people who don't look like us or sound like us. So until we like really get truthful about that, we can't course correct a deeper spirituality in our nation. And I think that's a really important thing for us to to do some deep soul work. I mean, this is deep soul work stuff. You'd, you'd think, or I think anyway, that authentic spirituality is that deep soul work. But you can look at the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then a little bit later in Leviticus, love the stranger as yourself. And then you read other parts of the Bible where you're committing genocide 
against humans and, you know, animals of your neighbors. It it seems to me that I'm putting this out as a statement, please challenge it. I'd love to to not, Mm -hmm. not accept what I'm about to say. It seems to me that spirituality is about honoring the divinity of all beings, but religion is about power and control and, and is in a sense, anathema to, or, or spirituality is, an, is anathema to religion because it, religion is all about othering people. Mm-hmm. What, what's your sense of that? I think that a lot of people would agree with you. And here's why I would take a different stream in this sense. I think as people, when we look at, well, let's go back to the book that we share of Genesis, when the earth was a formless void, there is the spirit hovering over the waters, creating some order out of chaos, this to home, this, what, what is this chaos? There's a lot of questions out of that. I've been thinking about this passage a lot, particularly in the last week with um, the insurrection, how I believe the spirituality of all our religions and the spirituality of all of our practices is a unified spirit creating order, creating a new life from destructive powers of chaos. I believe we share all that because I believe God is universal and I believe God is, we are all attempting to name God by the limited words that we have. I believe we need structures. Like I do believe in politics. I believe in universities. I believe in school systems. I believe in religion. I think these are important structures and the spirit and and because humans can be so tempted by power and greed and um, and uh, arrogance, the structures can be co- corrupted so quickly by the misuse of power, which I think we see in politics and religion and even in universities and and school systems. So I think they're important, but have we ever seen a pure version? of religion right now. I'm not sure that's true, which is why spirituality is so important. So important. I think spirituality is much more rooted, grounded, hummus, earth, um, than the structures of religion. Though I do think religion is important too. Do you think religion is not important? May I ask that? I think that that religion can be a vehicle for not just articulating, but living your spiritual awakening, your spiritual insights. Uh, for example, when I realize that all beings, and this is my theology, that all beings are a manifesting of a singular divine reality, then I, when I look at kosher from the Jewish perspective, I can see that at one time, kosher was an attempt to minimize the harm you caused to animals. But now, with a deeper understanding that animals are also sacred, that kosher should be reformed. I don't mean in Reformed Judaism, though that would be a place to start, perhaps. But (laughs) kosher should be reimagined as either vegetarian or vegan. Mm -hmm. And to have a religion that presented an organized, um, presented vegetarianism as part of an organized frame for practicing your spirituality. Yeah, I think it would make great sense. It would be fabulous. Mostly though, I I don't see that kind of religion. I see religion as upholding norms that no longer make sense. Uh, I mean, your 
I don't know the history of, of the UCC, United Church of Christ, so I don't know how difficult it was as a woman to become a pastor, though you said when you were growing up, you never saw one, and a lesbian as well. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you've got two mm-hmm. radical boundary-shattering parts of your, your personality in, in this context. I would assume that that's, it's funny to say that's one of the things that makes you radical. You're, you were born a woman, you were yeah. born a lesbian. So it, I don't know, you know, it, I it's know. Not, right? I don't know what that means exactly in this context. It would be but, interesting to interrogate that. Yeah, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but still in, in the context of your job, those things have got to be really pushing the boundaries, if not shattering barriers within your church, because the church wasn't, it wasn't open to that before. No, it wasn't. And the church, Big C Church, is still not, it still isn't, right? Mm, um, right. Uh, here's just the statistics 90% of senior level pulpits, the lead pastor or senior pastor in which I am serving, 90% in the USA are still led by men. Only 10%, and that's a give or take 10 to 12%, are led by women. So I'm part of a very small minority. Yeah in this senior level position. And then when you break that down even more to racial dynamics, um, of course, you see even differences among white and black and brown women. And then on top of that, as you just said, adding that I'm a lesbian, you know, I don't, I know maybe one other lesbian pastor who has a pretty public profile, but it is trailblazing a new territory because in some ways, some people will, you know, if I hang out with the gays, they're like, well, why are you Christian? Like, what? why are you staying in that? If I hang out with a lot of Christians, they're like, well, why, how do you think it's okay to call yourself gay? So there's like this tension always because the history has not been a woman affirming, gay affirming place. Um, right. And I know that. Um, and just no matter what I say, just my, my body, my spirit, the spirituality shatters some old boxes. Like I know I can just be present and that makes room for others. Um, around me. Let me just take a moment and remind you that support for this episode of Essential Conversations comes from InterVarsity Press. Their new book, True Companions by Kelly Flanagan, explores how you can enjoy the deeply satisfying and transformational love of companionship. You can learn more and get your copy of True Companions at ivpress.com. So I wanted to ask you something along that, those lines, but I hadn't thought of it in that way at all. I was going to ask you, how does, not just being a woman, but how, how does having women pastors in the church, and now you know it's 10%, but regardless, how does being a woman in that setting change the setting? And I mean, you mentioned it one way just by being a woman up there. So that that's an important thing. It's like having an African-American president or... Mm-hmm you know, African-American, South Asian vice president now. So someone says, oh, I see myself in that person. But I'm wondering if there's anything else. A lot of times I get the sense, and this is a little gross, but I get the sense that when I see women clergy, I just see, I see male clergy in women's bodies. They're not Mm -hmm. giving us a new theology. They're not changing the dynamic. They're not, you know, sitting at round tables is Mm -hmm. both, you know, sort of a, a deep move toward community, but it's also circles versus rectangles. If I if I understand it, right, that's part of feminist theology. As you sit in the round, mm-hmm. you know, women are associated with round. Mm-hmm. So, if this is making any sense, yes, 
do, do you change the way the seating in the church? Do you change the theology? Are you still saying our father who art in heaven? Mm. I, I mean, what happens with all of that? Oh, I, oh, I love this. I'm getting excited. So a variety of things begin to change. First off, I'm a well aware. So here's the thing. I could tell you, Jess, Cass, personal human being without ordination. I could tell you all of the things I could imagine that could happen. And like, oh man, we got to rip these pews up. We got to do this, this, this. The leader, Reverend Jess Cass, knows how slow institutions are to changing how slow and gentle the changes are. And it's like, a. I sometimes think of leading like a spider web. Which string do I want to pull so that I get the most movement of the whole web? What is the way to pull the string so that it impacts the others to think differently? So one of the things is I'm constantly in scripture, like for instance, in the in Advent in December, I preached on the radical nature of Mary, of how revolutionary she is. Uh, she's this Mother Mary. Uh, she sings that my, my soul magnifies the Lord for God has lifted up the lowly and brought down the arrogant. I mean, this is like some revolutionary talk. And I say that and it's like, I never thought of Mary that way. I never, because they see image so many times the religion, to get to your point, has perpetuated, oh, this docile, submissive, white, angelic Mary. But when we look at scripture, this is what radical means to me. Radical, the etymology of it is going to the root. I go back to scripture all the time because I think it's a radical book. And we see Mary saying, no, like God's chosen me. Okay. No matter what you say, powers of this world, God's chosen me. And I'm going to come up And I'm going to do it joyfully. I'm bothered. And I'm going to be me and carry this Jesus into the world. Um, So would would my male colleagues look at Mary that way? I think some do. But I don't think that's been the history of how Mary has been understood. So when I preach it that way, that's a different perspective of the history of the religion that I'm bringing into the pulpit. And I know I'm, I'm how I think. I don't think of, oh, I'm just changing things at this moment. I'm literally thinking, how can I leave this world as, a, as better for the kids coming up that see me? H- how can I look down from heaven or look over from wherever we go next, cheering on saying, oh, yeah, there we go. That's the little bit of room I made for this next generation. That's the little bit of room that we made here. Uh, for me, it's a long-term game of of eras here that I'm 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 part of, and I'm connected to the women and radicals before me who have made more room for me. It's just this understanding of time that's beyond this present moment. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito. For a Moment of Silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's not... I want to blow the thing up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I understand. A lot of people That's, do right now. You know, yeah. Which is why I'm not in the pulpit anymore. Yeah. But 
but and I and I understand you don't want to lose anybody, so you want to get the people who are the most resistant and bring them along baby steps by baby steps. I get that. I think on the other hand that your teachings around Mary during Advent, that's probably more radical, not simply in going back to the root text, but more radical in the sense of laying the seeds for for dramatic dynamic transformation than getting rid of the seats and making, putting, you know, getting, yeah. you know changing the, the architecture. My own sense, because I, I have a very, at least in my own mind, a deep connection to Mary, but I see, I see the Mary of the Christian tradition as simply the Christian embodiment of Kali and of mm-hmm. uh, Chachma, Sophia, Lady Wisdom and the Jewish tradition. And the, so, so I, I, in fact, I was once in Rome, I was there for a week teaching an order of nuns uh, my whole theory of um, this, I called it the woman with a thousand faces. And it was all these various uh, goddess figures. And I said, look, all of them are, they're all manifestations of the same archetype. And Mary is one of them. And at the end, they said, this was really fascinating and completely wrong. <laughs> I love nuns. <laughs> you know, they, just, they weren't going to have anything to do with me. But I love it them was, so much. <laughs> it, was, it was so sweet that they asked me to come out and share anyway. <laughs> I, I go to a community in uh, Kentucky called the Sisters of Loretto, and they're these radical uh, nuns that um, they might be more on board with what you just said, some of them at least. I, I do know a lot of of uh, Catholic women, nuns, uh, and 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 lay people who are very involved in this kind of work with Mary, um, but they can't get the church to come along. Though the church does say some very radical things about Mary when when they call her Theotokos, the Mother of God and co-creatrix yeah. uh, with with the divine. That that is really radical stuff, which I absolutely uh, appreciate. So just to, to clarify one thing that, that I asked and then we sort of skipped over it, the liturgy is the liturgy, right? I, you're not, you're not going to change our father to, you know, I wouldn't change it to our parent, <laughs> but, you know, maybe, yo, you who art in heaven. I don't know what well, you want to say. I have changed it from our father to oh, ever-loving so God, um, ever-loving God who are in heaven. And it is a, some of my colleagues have changed, will go between, actually have used our parent who are in heaven, our mother who are in heaven. And uh, those are fine. Uh, but for me, the, the, the text of that prayer is very important. Our father, I believe, gets in the way for a lot of folks today. So how can I open that door a little bit more while staying radically true to the profundity of the text. So ever loving God who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's what we practice. But I have to tell you personally, and again, just Jess, I personally am okay with our father. Um, but as a, again, as Rev Jess, leading from ever loving God shifts the language just yeah. enough to be able to say, well, why do we say it this way? And what does this mean? Uh, I am creating these holy pauses to ask a sanctuary to ask questions. Well, why did we, why did my church when I was 12 teach it this way? And you keep referencing the scripture in this sense. I didn't know this was in there. I didn't, I didn't know this about Shifra and Pua. I didn't know this about Anna and Suzanne. And 
honestly, I want my congregation and any of those who I'm engaged with online, like truly read the scripture, go to these radical rituals of our tradition, because they really reorient our life. Like if you really believe this, which I do, it is radical. It is revolutionary. It changes our politics. It changes how we, it changes our economics. It changes how we see each other and it changes how we understand ourselves. And it calls us into culpability to live with more obligation of love of our neighbor with the utmost justice, mercy, and humility. Yeah, I, I think, of course, you know, there's a little hedge I would put in there saying it depends who's reading the tradition. I mean, you know, you can read the Bible and end up supporting slavery and racism, and you can read the Bible and end up supporting the oppression of Palestinians. And, you, you know, there's all kinds of ways of reading the Bible, or you can read it and end up like Martin Luther King Jr. or yeah. the way you're reading it. I, I'll tell you a, a quick story just to for everyone who's listening to see how hard this is, that the, the thing you're trying to do. I was once teaching with Bishop Spong. Mm. And he's giving this talk. It was an Episcopal group. He's giving a talk to the group and he's taking the uh, Lord's Prayer apart. And he's saying, he talked about Father, we got to get rid of that. And then he said, who art in heaven? Where's heaven? Mm. He said, when they wrote this, the earth was flat. They thought there was an up and a down. But we know differently. There is no up and down. There's in toward a center of gravity and there's out from a center of gravity, but there's no up or down. So there's no heaven and no hell anymore. We know better. So he said, you have to rewrite all this stuff. That was on a Saturday night. He gave this talk. Sunday morning, he's already left. He was quite elderly and not feeling, not doing so well. So he he left, but I'm still there. And uh, we have our morning service and the Episcopal priests who were, who were doing it, they're all men, though there are obviously not, there are, there are many, many women uh, Episcopal priests, but these guys were all guys. And they come to the, the Lord's Prayer and they also and they all just went, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be their name. When I got up to teach after the service, I said, What happened to you guys? Were you not listening? Mm. And they didn't understand. I said, What do you mean? And I said, Look, Bishop Spong just said, Don't say this the yeah. way you, you always say it. And they just looked at each other sheepishly and went, My God, we never thought about it. It was like an act, an yes. abstraction to them not, you know, a lived faith. Right. Uh, it, it was, it was so, so I get the reason I'm sharing that is just to say you have a long uphill battle ahead of you. I mean, that's exactly true. What you just said, I mean, I can't help but think of the radical nature of Jesus, right? He's teaching right. all these radical things, turn the other cheek, love your neighbor, uh, put down your sword. And all of these disciples, these men and these women were like, not getting it, you know? And I can't help but love these disciples because they're so like us. Like, this is what I like about scripture is it like illuminates our current situations. And I'll, oh yeah, okay, to be human is hard. Yeah, like, To be human is really hard. Though I, I would take issue with part of that and say that the male, yeah. the apostles, the male disciples were were dumb. They're, they didn't get Jesus' message. But yeah. I think Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. the Marys, and I mean, I don't know, I'm telling you this. I'm but, comfortable with that. You go on, Rabbi. You go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, it's so interesting that in a book supposedly written by men, because most of those books were written by men, the men all run away and hide when Jesus is arrested and crucified. And it's the women who are the ones who find the tomb empty. I think the only reason you can get away with that in a book written by men to a in a patriarchal society is if everyone knows it's true. Yes, you know what I mean? I mean, true. you just couldn't say, oh, 
And and Peter found that the tomb was empty and they would all be laughing on the ground going, are you joking? Peter's an idiot. Right. So yeah, Peter was drunk on the couch. Yeah, after right. The right. right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which brings us to, you know, the events of the day. And this I'll make this our, our, our wrap up question, though it's, it's pretty big. The, the events of the day were one week after the insurrection on uh, uh, January 6th. Uh, President Trump just hours ago uh, has been impeached for the second time. And when you watch and listen to what the rioters are saying and you look at their flags, and where I live, this is not unusual, some of the most right-wing people are also some of the most faithful, at least in their own mind, Christians. And they've got their Jesus 2020 signs and, and, and all of this. And I'm wondering how that impacts the work you do. Do you do you run into that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I I mean, I live in Pennsylvania. So a little backstory. In 2016, I was living in New York City and I was having the time of my life. I, I love New York City. After President Trump won the election and it felt like a shroud over Manhattan, I remember think beginning to feel the sense of a call in our language uh, call is this, this spiritual intuitive sense inside us that I can't stay in Manhattan, that I need to go into other areas of the country uh, being raised in the Midwest. I have a particular language with a city savviness. Um, I didn't think I would be going to Pennsylvania in like this super battleground state of the 2020 election, but here we are. Um, and you know, not too far away from here, there's Confederate flags with Jesus bumper stickers. Um, there's tr an aggressive Trump paraphernalia with um, with little sayings of I, I kneel before the cross. Um, and it, it, if you're in the average person, I think that's it plays with your mind. This is what you think Christians are. Last week at the insurrection, I think. One of some of the images that made me the angriest were seeing Jesus paraphernalia wrapped with the Confederate flag. And as I said in my congregation this past Sunday, I said, this is a sin. This is breaking the third commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain. And we as a congregation congregation renounce this white supremacy. Nationalism and uh, I, I, what a very twisted form of Christianity have been married together. Um, and it's not my Christian faith. It's not, it's not my Christian faith, but it does make what I do harder because as I was just talking to someone at a, a vintage store today, she said, I so appreciate when you publicly say that's breaking the third commandment and that's what's taking the Lord's name in vain. She goes, because that's all I know what Christianity is when I see that. Um, and it makes me angry because it's, again, getting back to the scripture, that's not what any of the prophets teach us. That's not what the prophet Jesus teaches us. It's very difficult right now. And I would understand why it would be very confusing for so many. Yeah. Yeah. So are you looking for a new job? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to let you go in just a moment, but I, I, I think it's fair. We We should also say that um, that A, that's not all of American Christianity, certainly. Uh, and B, you see the same hijacking of religion in 
uh, by by ethno nationalists in Israel, among uh, in India, in uh, Myanmar. I mean, it's just you know there is no religion that is exempt from being co opted by by racism and ethno nationalism. Everybody so, wants God on their team. Everybody the wants to own God. It's it's yeah. um, it's it's a interesting human phenomenon, but uh, very dangerous, I think. Me too. We are going to have to leave it at that. Our guest today was Jess Cast, pastor at Faith United Church of Christ in State College, Pennsylvania. Reverend Cast is featured in the January-February issue of Spirituality and Health magazine as one of seven trailblazers helping define the future of spirituality. I think if you are listening, you can see how she's doing it and why there's hope for the future of spirituality, because we have people like Reverend Cast fighting the good fight. To learn more about her, please read Spiritual Radicals, the essay in the February, January, February Spirituality and Health magazine, and visit her website, RevJessCast.com. Jess, thank you so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much, Rami, and thank you to everybody who's listening. Let us create some hope and joy and justice together. Amen. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's website, where I now write a regular column called Roadside Musings. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Support for this show comes from InterVarsity Press and their new book, True Companions by Kelly Flanagan. The book explores how we can enjoy the deeply satisfying transformational love of companionship. Kelly Flanagan is an author, psychologist, and she shows us how to use self-knowledge to help us explore love more vulnerably. Learn more and get a copy of True Companions at ivpress.com. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Catherine Drury-Wagner. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on The Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.